What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael. It's late night, Sunday night. Hope my voice doesn't sound too hoarse. Was at the Broncos game this afternoon. Nice to see a victory. I understand the draft implications and all of that. This team's a disaster. You could probably make the argument a win does more harm than good in the long run for them. But I mean, whatever. I'm, I'm a Broncos fan. I'm there every week. I, I want to enjoy the wins, especially considering all the other bad teams also won. So it doesn't hurt you that bad in the grand scheme of things here. Really felt like a Rocky Mountain showdown with how much green there was in Denver. Honestly, it was it was kind of crazy. But Broncos games are just boring, man. And I just kept thinking, at least CSU games, if nothing else, they have been incredibly entertaining when you look at the the roller coaster experience that it's been watching this team so far in 2023. I know that can be frustrating at times just because the fans want this squad to just flip a switch and have all of the, the problems be gone, but it really doesn't work like that. So I'm going to dive into some of the parallels with the beginning of the Jim McElwain era and the beginning of the Jay Norvell era. Then we're going to get into some more takeaways from that UNLV game. A lot of positives to build off of. Obviously, still some things they need to clean up as well. We'll get into all of that. Then in part two, this is going to be a two-part podcast. I'm going to give my updated top 25. We're going to talk about the Mountain West just being weird as hell. It's as weird as ever. It really is. And we're also going to get into a recruiting update for CSU football. Rams recently picked up a commitment from Dagan Myers, son of Greg Myers, CSU legend. Really intriguing prospects. I'm looking forward to diving into all that. By the way, we'll also start talking about basketball here in the coming week or so. Obviously, you know, we've talked about basketball at various moments. We talk about them throughout the year, but I mean, we'll kind of start that transition where the pod becomes more of a 50-50 hoops football breakdown. It'll be like that throughout November and December. And then once we get through signing day, it basically becomes more of a hoops-oriented podcast through the end of March and the the cycle goes on. Before we dive into everything, I do want to shout out our partners over at Saturday Neon. Saturday Neon is a local company. It was started by two friends, former college roommates, and they make officially licensed collegiate logo LED neon signs. These things are sick. And what's really cool is they're shipped with everything you need to mount, to power and dim, so every sign is easy to install and operate. Like I said, they're officially licensed for 19 select schools, including CU, CSU, Arizona, Alabama, Wisconsin. They're great for offices, man caves, dorm rooms, basements, pretty much anywhere. Go to SaturdayNeon.com. Use the code DNVR for 10% off your order today. Free shipping for orders over $200. I also want to shout out our friends at the Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' first ever adults-only casino resort. They have the world's largest sports book. It's a three-story stadium-style operation. It takes 10 people just to operate the screen. The food is awesome. I love Victory Burger. Uh, Project Barbecue is awesome as well. Tons of VIP seating. They've got multiple clubs. They have an awesome casino with 7,000 square feet. It's two levels with over 1,300 slots, 48 table games, and they have dancing dealers. There's over 500 rooms with a variety of layouts to fit your needs. And obviously, Stadium Swim is one of the coolest things in all of Vegas. They have a 15,000 square foot area of wet space. 
and it, there's a 143 by 40 foot LED screen so you can watch all of the best sports and action poolside. Live your best life, guys. If you're heading out to Vegas, make sure you book your stay with the code DNVR20 and get 20% off. Also, the Circus Sportsbook app is available for download in Colorado. Download the app at circusports.com. Circus Sports bets can be made only while physically located in the state of Colorado. Must be 21 or older. All rights reserved. Circus Sports Colorado encourages you to gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call or text 1-800-GAMBLER or visit problemgamblingcolorado.org. All right. All right. All right. I don't want to get too repetitive here because I know that I've talked about this before. This was one of the things that I featured in my post-game article regarding the loss to UNLV. Just the fact that while it is frustrating that they lost a, a winnable game, and again, they did let this one slip away. We'll get into the takeaways after this. This season has just reminded me so much of that 2012-2013 time period and that whole transition under Jim McElwain of going from a losing program to you know, a team that was quite frisky in the Mountain West and who knows what they could have done if he stayed for a couple more years. But I do think people also look back on that time period with some rose-colored glasses and forget that it was a process. And as fun as that 2013 season was even, there were some really, really head-scratching and frustrating moments in the first half of that year. You know, there were pretty high expectations, probably not as high as the expectations for this team, just because you have guys like Tory Horton and, you know, we didn't yet know what Capri or, or Richard were, were really going to be. But when you look at that 2012 year, yes, it starts with the win over CU. The McElwain era starts with a bang, but then they lose six straight games. And, and a lot of those games, they really weren't competitive. They got beat by North Dakota state at home they did kind of respond down the stretch and, and went 500 over the final six, three and three to, you know, kind of show some of that progress. And a lot like last year, you know, when CSU was competitive in the Mountain West play, win three games, it gives you hope that next year is going to be better. In 2012, CSU scored 21.2 points per game. They allowed 30.2. If you look at the 2022 Rams, again, these are comparing McElwain and, and Norvell's first years. CSU scored 13.2 points per game, so worse. And they allowed 26.9 points per game, a little bit better than that first year of McElwain. Both coaches were in really tough spots, though. I mean, when you look at the three years preceding the McElwain era, it was three straight three and nine campaigns under Steve Fairchild. When you look at the three regular seasons leading into the Norvell era, omitting the, the 2020 wonky COVID year where you only play four games, it was three and nine. Four and eight in the final year of Bobo and three and nine. I do think that a lot like going into this 2023 season, going into 2013, the expectation was that things were heading in the right direction. You should see a team that's much more consistently competitive, you know, be in that mix for a bowl game and, and all that. And in 2013, you could see the offensive talent from the start. You lose a frustrating game to see you to open up the year in Denver. The Rams were actually up 24-23 after the third quarter, but got outscored 18-3 in that fourth quarter, end up losing by two touchdowns. After that, they go on the road to Tulsa and lose just a really ugly, sloppy game to a Tulsa team that finished 3-9 and nine that year, but it was 30-27, to 27, and people are starting to question if Garrett Grayson is actually the guy. People are 
actually pushing for Connor Smith to get an opportunity to see the field. That's a name, a throwback for you if you've been a Ram fan for a while, Connor Smith. But you're sitting there at 0-2, and even after that, you, you pull out a, a game against Cal Poly at home, 34-17, to but it was relatively competitive, and it's not like that was a dominant Cal Poly team or anything. They finished 500 that year. Week four, they do go to Tuscaloosa and play a game against Alabama that was way more competitive than the 31-6 final score indicates. In a lot of ways, I feel like that game against the Crimson Tide kind of sparked some confidence within that locker room. And in fact, I know that because I was an assistant on the coaching staff back then. I was you know, talking with some of the guys and you just heard them say comments like, they're not that different than us. And you kind of hope that it would be this moment that it is transcending and allows you to hit the ground running and, and put some of those problems behind you. But it wasn't like the the issues just went away after that. They played a really tight game and won 59 to 42 against the UTEP squad that went two and 10. Then they, they lose 34 to 27 at home to San Jose state who finished 500 that year. So through the first six weeks of the year, you're sitting there at two and four after that, you know, things really do start to change for the Rams. They go into Laramie and just beat down, beat down the Cowboys 52 to 22. I remember watching that one with my dad and just losing it really the beginning of the end for the Dave Christensen era in Laramie because they were four and two going into that game. They, they didn't end up having that great of a year. They finished five and seven, but they were four and two going into the game. They almost beat a top 20 Nebraska team on the road and CSU just took all the the wind out of their their sails that day. I really kind of feel like it was the beginning of the end for Christensen. Anyways, getting a little sidetracked there, but after beating Wyoming, again, you're feeling like, all right, this is this is where we get it going. And then they kind of struggle and have to win a tight one on the island against Hawaii, which, you know, Hawaii, weird things happen. That's fine. You're just glad that you you managed to pull it out to move to, to 500. Boise State comes to town. The Rams go up 10 in the first quarter. You're thinking, all right, like maybe maybe we're actually going to beat Boise. Game gets away from them. They end up losing by 12. Then they win a couple of them. You know, they they go or they beat Nevada at home. Then they go to Albuquerque and win a 66-42 thriller against the Lobos. Capri absolutely went off. I think he had six touchdowns in that game. Crockett Gilmore had a highlight catch where he ran through like five defenders. Look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Just type in Crockett Gilmore, New Mexico, and I assume it'll come up. But like the, the point was is there were all these moments where you could see the talent and you would feel like, all right, they're going to get it going. And then they'd have a setback. You know, you, you beat down Wyoming. You win a tough game against Hawaii on the road to move to 500. Then you blow a game at home against Boise. You follow that up with a couple of more wins and then you get shut out 13-0 on the road against Utah State. And you're in a position at six and six where you have to be Air Force in the season finale to reach a bowl. Fortunately, the Rams rolled them 58 to 13. Really, the only time in my life that I can remember CSU actually kicking Air Force's ass. I mean, they throttled them. And I know the Air Force wasn't very good that year, but just total domination for four quarters. And Bibbs went absolutely wild. It was just, it was a really fun game, really fun memory from my freshman year which was obviously followed up by one of my favorite memories as a sports fan period, which is the 2013 New Mexico bowl, the crazy comeback to beat Washington state. One of the wildest college football games I've ever seen. 
Didn't think I would see anything that ever touched it, but this past weekend or two weekends ago, I guess against Boise state, I don't know to have all that happen in four minutes. I think it's at least a debate. Anyways, I know I've gone longer on this than I intended to, but it's a process guys. It really is a process. And as many fun moments as there were in that 2013 season, Wyoming air force, the Washington state win, there were equally as many, if not more moments where you wanted to rip your hair out. You know, San Jose state was so frustrating. That Tulsa game is top five, most frustrating losses of of my life. I mean, it, it was just a really annoying game, really annoying, but they were able to figure it out. They were able to define their season down the stretch. And I want to give this team an opportunity to at least define their season as well. The goal was always to make a bowl game. You're going to be favorites in three games out of these final five. If you win the games on paper that you're supposed to, you'll be in the postseason. And honestly, I know I'm going to catch some flack for this from the people that don't like my approach that want me to just be the hot take guy that's calling for jobs and screaming, burn it down after every loss and build the statue after every win. But this game against UNLV, despite the outcome, which was obviously frustrating. And again, we're going to get into those takeaways with how CSU defended the run. It actually made me feel pretty good going into these next two weeks. And as weird as this year has been, and I've talked about this a lot as well, college football is the flukiest dumbest sport it's wonderful and and i love it with all my heart but the weirdest stuff just happens like does it not feel like the year that csu beats an air force or wyoming it totally feels like one of those years in fact i'll even go out on a limb and say it csu will win one of these next two games they're gonna win one i I just i don't know i feel like i have a decent read on this team and that's just the way that this stupid sport works. It's why I love it. It's why it's chaotic. It's why it's fun. It's why you've got to tune in every single week because you never know what it's going to be. And I just, I want everybody to keep perspective that this process of going from a, a losing team, a, a losing culture to a, a consistently competitive team that can finish, you know, week in and week out, it takes time. And obviously the Rams did flip a switch eventually under McElwain, but it was not after a lot of trial and error. It was not after, or it was after, you know, a lot lot of situations where you took a couple steps forward and then you took a couple steps back before they finally found a little bit of stability. And I I genuinely feel like CSU is in that process under Jay Norvell. They're so close to figuring it out. That doesn't mean that you can't be upset about the outcome. They've got to stop dropping these winnable games. This is the third time this season you've gone up double digits on the road and found a way to squander it. You know, being critical is fair. You can be critical of certain play calls. You can be critical of certain decisions, supporting the program, believing in what's, you know, occurring under Jay Norvell right now doesn't mean blind faith, but I've just seen some crazy reactions from this game and some of y'all got to chill out a little bit and give them a chance to define their season down these final five weeks. But if you think just burn it down, blow it up, fire everybody, get rid of the defensive coordinator, get rid of the offensive line coach because they lose one game. You're just, you're losing sight of things and you've got to understand how important the continuity is to get this thing going. I mean, we're like eight weeks removed from Freddie Banks being a really hot P5 candidate. Bill Best has taken one of the worst O-lines in the country last year and turned it into a serviceable group. I mean, the turnaround they've had in the trenches is night and day. 
this is a good staff and they have talent on the roster. There's improvement that needs to be made. There are things that consistently plague this team that, you know, they, they've got to clean up and that's frustrating, but that's part of the process. That's all part of the process, the highs and the lows. If you want to build a program the right way, if you want it to be sustainable, there's going to be some growing pains, guys. That's just, that's how it works. And the quicker that some people wrap their head around that, you know, the more they're going to enjoy this experience, which again is another thing I'm a big proponent of. Enjoy the climb, enjoy the experience. It, it tastes so much sweeter when you reach that, that consistent place of competitiveness, when you reach the proverbial top of the mountain, when you were a part of that climb, when you were a part of the ascension and you know just how hard it was to get there and everything that went into it. But if, if you can't enjoy any of the process, it's, it's going to be a tough one because it's not going to be perfect right away. And, and I just hope that people understand that. All right. I said my piece. I'm going to move on. Let's talk about this UNLV game. But when you get hurt, Bax and Shanker, they're here to help. Bax and Shanker win for Colorado families. They've been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. Free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case and no fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Bax and Shanker have won over a billion dollars to their clients. And what's cool is they represent all of Colorado. They've got neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. They have the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Bax and Shanker help with all kinds of injury cases where you weren't at fault, car accidents, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Bax and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Bax and Shanker wins. I also want to shout out our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. You know we love Breck Brew at DNVR, and that's because they've been doing it better than anybody for longer than anybody. 33 years, it all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. Made with 100% renewable energy. You gotta love that. I personally, a big mountain beach sour guy, but the Avalanche Amber Ale, tis the season, goes perfect while, you know, maybe watching the abs. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. Cool, cool, cool. Let's wrap up part one. Again, this is going to be a two-parter tonight, so long as my voice holds up. Uh, let's talk about this UNLV game a little bit more. was able to rewatch it when I got home from the Broncos game. Definitely let a winnable one get away from them. There were a lot of moments where I felt like early on, CSU had a chance to extend that lead in the first half. They had that third and goal or third and eight, whatever it was, you know, down near the goal line. They decide to run it, set up a short field goal. Don't love that. But I do think with what we saw from CSU's defensive line in this one, you should be encouraged. I mean, UNLV is an offense that typically, you know, runs for 200 plus yards on the ground. You only allow 138 in this one. I felt like the defensive linemen especially did a phenomenal job of being sound and, you know, having gap discipline, making tackles when there were opportunities available. Those guys in the interior were just eating up bodies. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of Grady Kelly and Cam Baratow, but you're starting to see James Mitchell and some of these other guys really start to pop in the middle. Matt Thomas got in the mix. Those big boys did their job in this one, though. They were really, really physical in the trenches. They didn't get worked. And they were very disciplined against a go-go offense under Brendan Marion that's really challenging. They throw a ton of different looks at you. They use a lot of misdirection, a lot of motion, a lot of multiple back sets with 
play action and counters and they're really just testing you. They're they're testing to see if one guy over pursues, if one guy, you know, chases the wrong man and all of a sudden, you know, it opens up a lane for a big time play. And after what we had seen, you know, with the the run D being a little bit leaky in, in the couple of weeks leading up to this one, I was really pleased, especially with Air Force and Wyoming coming up. Obviously those are completely different beasts, especially Air Force. But all things considered, I felt like this was a really encouraging showing going into that game. Obviously, there's nothing you can do that truly replicates what Air Force is going to throw at you. But in terms of just having to be disciplined within your gaps, you know, making sure your eyes are in the right place, having to make quality tackles in space, this was this was kind of a, a nice warm up going into that game. It was obviously encouraging that the run game was really able to create some traction in that first half, struggled a little bit in the second half, though they did create some some plays in that fourth quarter as well. Season high, 137 rush yards. Van Shield and Avery Morrow both contributed. Um, Van Shield, 52-yard run, longest rush of the season. That was great to see. It was also great to see, you know, Avery Morrow showing his speed. You know, you're a little bit worried coming back from that, that MCL injury if you know, he's going to have some of the breakaway speed that makes him so versatile. He's a big dude. He'll run through you, but he gets to the edge, man. And it's just great to have him back out there and they need that element of the offense. It opens up a lot of the short passing game underneath. We saw that in the second half, you know, in the first half, UNLV, they're having a lot of guys drop back. They're dropping back seven or eight. They're having light boxes. The Rams took advantage of it. They ran it. They're essentially taking what the defense is giving them. Second half, UNLV adjusts. They're getting gashed in the run game. They start doing heavier sets up front. And, you know, what does CSU do? They adjust as well. They start, you know, attacking with the the short passing game. You see some of those crossers and, and slants and quick screens. And it was it was a chess match in this one. I, I really do think it was well coached on both sides. I would say that in the second half, that UNLV staff probably won the battle. I mean, they won the game, so that seems pretty fair to say. But I... I I liked what I saw from the Rams and and their approach in that first half, especially I liked how CSU responded in the fourth quarter after just a brutal third quarter, that third quarter, pretty much the difference in the game. I mean, you have like 50 yards offense, only four rushing yards. It was, it was bad, but I just feel like the time of possession really started to wear the CSU defense down. They were playing hard. It was a physical game in the trenches and, Eventually, some of those plays started to to kind of open up for the Rebels down the field. They credit to them for making some some big plays in the pass game. I personally, at least watching it, didn't feel like there were as many lapses in coverage this week. Actually, we saw a couple of really nice plays from defensive backs over the course of this game. Had an opportunity at two different interceptions in the red zone. Either one of them would have been huge if the Rams could have came up with it. Both great instances of, of breaking on the ball, though. They obviously gave up some some plays late that proved to be really fatal. I don't know. I, just watching it again, I, I felt especially conflicted because, you know, it's the second time this year you've dropped into zone while up late and allowed the team to basically go straight down the field on you. Inherently, I would like to be able to trust the DBs there, lean on your defensive line, try and create some pressure, and if they do get the ball off, you hope that a DB is able to make a play. At the same time, we've seen, you know, the corners get kind of burned over the top, especially by guys with speed at various moments this year. You know, White and DeJesus, those are both guys that can move. I don't know. Like, I, I want to sit here and just be like, it, it was totally the wrong move. 
and the outcome makes it seem like it certainly was, but I get the logic, I guess is what I'm saying as much as I stylistically, I'm not a big fan. I'd rather just go aggressive. And if you die, you know, (laughs) if he dies, he dies. If you lose, you know, at least you lost while trying to win instead of, you know, trying not to lose. I do know those decisions are significantly more complicated than we tend to frame them in these types of post-game situations, though. Uh, One of the things that was really positive to me, just keeping it rolling with the takeaways, we're kind of rapid-firing here. We're really starting to see the Norvell signees, and I mean specifically the the freshmen and sophomores or freshmen, redshirt freshmen and sophomores. They're, They're starting to do their thing a little bit. We saw DeAndre Gill on the field this week, which was awesome. He had three total tackles putting a run stuff for a loss, really athletic guy. I think he's going to be a stud for CSU. He's just got a lot of length and size. He moves well. I mean, once he gets this defense down, I, I think his, his future is really bright. I think TJ Crandall in the secondary is going to be a superstar. I'm really high on Jalen Gardner. He can just cover so much ground. Obviously, Justice Ross Simmons had a huge game. Lewis Brown the week before. Both of those guys are huge in the trenches. Newer Gatkuth has has been great all year. It was a bummer that he wasn't able to go in this one. Marshawn Oxley had a great game, though, in his absence. That was awesome to see. I mean, all of these guys are, are really intriguing, and they're really starting to step up here in their first and second years in the program. Kennedy McDowell, you know, obviously you hope that, that he's okay, but he was a, another one of those young freshmen that had really started to, to branch out and, and was making plays. And I just think that's encouraging because, you know, you know that at least on paper, Jay Norvell is a great recruiter, but we're seeing it, you know, it's undeniable at this point. And that's the only way that they're going to be able to build this thing in a sustainable manner. You can fill some holes, you can fill some gaps via the portal and, and Dallin Holker, some of the North Dakota state guys you bring in. That's a great example of it. If you want to be able to actually build your roster from top to bottom, it's got to be through the high school ranks. If you're a school like CSU, you got to be able to go identify talent, get them on campus, obviously lock them down, and then you develop them. And I'm just really encouraged by what we're seeing from CSU as far as recruiting goes and what we're seeing as, as far as development goes because there have been coaches over the years that brought in talent and they weren't able to maximize it. I think Bobo was a pretty decent recruiter early on, dipped a little bit at the end. Uh, I think Fairchild brought in a lot of talent that McIlwain ultimately won with. But if you can't develop, you know, it it doesn't do a lot of good. So I'm just, I'm really encouraged by what's happening in that aspect. Um, Just some final takeaways here. The disparity in time of possession was definitely a big factor. So was the difference in starting field position. Uh, Kevin Lytle did have an important tweet that pointed out that the the starting field position after the squib kick late was basically right in line with where UNLV had had started all night. They were trying to limit, you know, a kickoff going to the house on them. It's it's a conservative approach, but it's one that has worked for this staff. It's the same approach they do when punting. You know, you're you're not necessarily going to get the 60-yard booming punt down the field every time, but you're trying to essentially get like a 45 to 50-yard punt that ultimately is fair caught and you're able to to cover. But I just wanted to bring that up here at the end because like a lot of you, especially after the game, the squib kick really did not sit well with me. I just didn't understand it. It, it felt like it was 
bigger in the moment, but when you see the numbers, the fact that they basically started around the 35 every single drive, I, I don't think you can say that the squib kick was the reason that they lost. Now you could argue that they were too conservative with their, their kicking approach that whole night. And, and I think that's fair. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was the, the right or wrong approach. I do know you couldn't get a stop late and that's frustrating. I do think those guys were gassed, but just on a night where you hold the opposing offense, which was red hot coming in, scored 40 points in every game, except Michigan. When you hold them to five field goals, you should win. You should win, especially if you're not killing yourself with turnovers. You did have the the one interception from Torrey Horton on the the trick play, which, you know, if you want to be critical there, you can say you got too cute. I would also point out, though, that the trick plays have largely worked for CSU this year. So, you, you know, you have to take the, the good with the bad with those, too. You know, it's a lot like going for it on fourth down or an onside kick. When it works, it's great. When it doesn't, you know, you, it's easy to be like, well, why the hell did you do that? Just play the game normal. That's the risk you take in those situations. But the fact of the matter is, is when you hold an offense like that to five field goals, you should win. And this one got away from CSU. They just weren't able to sustain the offensive success they had, especially on the ground as that game went on. And it's a learning moment. It's a frustrating one, but also at the same time, you did twice go down the field after losing the lead to take the lead. You know, you got to credit BFN and that offense for producing 10 points over the final five minutes. If you're able to hold the ball a little bit longer, you know, maybe you can set up a game-winning field goal as time expires or, you know, even better, maybe you go down and, and produce a touchdown. But Jordan Oyez, I mean, Stone's on the table, 55-yarder that would have been good from 60. That was great to see. If you get one more stop after that, you get a sack, you know, turnover, something like that. We're looking at this game completely differently. And it's, wow, look at how gritty this Rams team is. They, they find a way when their back's against the wall. But that's how it goes. These games are defined by three to five plays, really, you know, a drive or two can be the the ultimate difference in the game and credit to UNLV like they have all year. They've, they found a way to just make more plays than their opponent. And I understand that their, their strength of record is not phenomenal or anything like that. They still technically haven't beaten a team with a winning record, but you don't win that consistently without at least being good. And they clearly have an identity under Barry Odom. They run the hell out of the football they're stout in their defensive line. Their secondary played better tonight than what we had seen in, in the weeks coming in. And, and credit to them, man. It's it's a fun story. Obviously, a frustrating night for CSU. It'd rather be a situation where you say, good for you on, on making a bowl UNLV, but you still lost to the Rams. Fortunately, it didn't play out that way. The sky isn't falling, though, guys. And you've got five weeks to define your season. And that's where I'm at with this one. So, gotta leave it in the rear view. It's all about the response at this point. I do feel like Every time this year, CSU has been in an instance where nobody believed in them, which will certainly be the, the case against Air Force. They've really stepped up. I mean, let's see you in Boise State. So maybe you get that type of performance again. We shall see really big tests, a couple of rivalry games coming up. But uh, the season's not over. A long five weeks. That's all I'm saying. And we've seen this before. You know, history tends to repeat itself, especially when it comes to college football. So... That's all I've got for this one. Much love to you. We're going to continue the, the pod with a shorter one on part two here. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well. Much love, y'all. Always proud to be. Peace.
what you say if I told you I'd be the greatest MC that there ever was? Eh, what would you say if I told you that I could take a bunch of kids from the bottom and bring them to number one? Eh, what would you say if I told you and nobody in the rock and bus sold out crowd? Damn, that shit is crazy. You probably never make it when you listening to that right now.